My message today is entitled, For the Joy. I think I may have shared this before, but a lot of times God gives me a message. Um, and after a tough message or a challenging message, and uh, if I get a challenging message, then God usually puts me through that test so I can really preach it with passion. And I do a few of these, and Nancy said, when are you going to start teaching about joy? We need some joy in our life. So um, I kind of mixed in there today. So the message is called For the Joy. You're welcome. You don't know what you're thanking me for. Do you remember what it felt like when you were young and you were told a secret that others didn't know? Something excited that lifted your spirits and made you beam with pride because you were trusted with good news? Well, Paul found himself in a similar place when he found the secret to peace in life. He wasn't told this by another person who whispered in his ear. He learned it through the Holy Spirit as he went through life. You see, the Holy Spirit is the one who opens our eyes to the understandings of God when we put our trust in Him. Philippians chapter 4, verse 12 says it this way. Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. What a lesson to learn and a secret to discover. I would bet millions, if not billions, would love to know the secret for themselves, especially in the world that we live in today. With all the complaining and fighting and arguing and confusion and sadness and fear, imagine the power of truly having peace in every situation. What did Paul discover? Well, if we go back a little bit, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, says this, But what things were gain to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. See, before Paul came to know Jesus personally, he was riding high on pride. He was of the stock of Israel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin and zealously upholding the law. He was given great honor as a Pharisee. But when Jesus completely turned his life around, Paul realized that none of the accolades that he had been receiving, none of them amounted to anything eternal. His honor, his reputation, his status... Nothing compared to the riches of knowing Jesus and following Him. Philippians 3, verse 8. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. You see, something amazing happened in Paul when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. Not only did Jesus change his direction and his purpose, but over time he also equipped him with a revolutionary perspective. This perspective would change everything so that no matter what happened to Paul, and a lot happened to Paul, but no matter what happened to him, no matter what he came up against, it did not slow him down. In fact, it actually strengthened him. Paul didn't just lose his standing with the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders, however. 
He also lost his safety. He lost his well-being and his ability to move freely throughout Israel. Think about this, his resume. He was stoned once. He was shipwrecked three times. It's not a good record for a, a sailboat, is it, Jim? No. No. He was beaten three times. He was whipped five times. He was thrown in prison. Yet Paul didn't take any of these as rejections or discouragement. He had learned to count all things lost, including his own physical well-being. What does that mean? It means anything that would serve to pump us up or to feed our pride or even to feed our comfort, our health, our desires were all counted as loss by Paul. None of that mattered or even phased Paul. Consider this. It's not what happens to us that becomes a problem in our lives. Rather, it's how we, we respond to what happens to us that either becomes a problem or a faith builder or it has little or no effect on us. With each thing that we face, we have to choose which column we're going to put it into or how we're going to assign or subtract value from that event. For example, let's say you lose your job and suddenly find yourself out of work and at a dead end in your career. Common reactions would be to fret, worry, complain, blame others, become negative, fearful, or doubtful. And those would all be natural reactions that most people would display. Yet if you could take a step back and see things from the light of Paul's perspective, you could purposely choose to put this trial in the faith-building column instead of in the life-disrupting column. You see, it doesn't mean that we can completely ignore pain of loss and being wounded by others. Rather, it means that we learn to live and act intentionally instead of just reacting out of hurt. As Paul considered everything that came against him, he came to the realization that the world could not take away the riches of the glory of knowing Christ Jesus. Therefore, everything else was intentionally counted as loss by Paul. None of that mattered to him except to know Christ and to make Him known. And with each trial or tribulation he faced, it merely gave him more opportunities to count life's comforts as loss which created an even greater contrast between his relationship with Jesus and, the, and of what the world could offer him. Paul counted all things as loss. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. What a divine perspective that Paul had gained. He wasn't just muscling through the pain and trying to tough it out. He actually was seeking to, listen to this, seeking to know the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. This identification with Jesus goes to a whole new level than most of us have ever even considered. Could this be the secret? 
or at least part of it, that as we count the world's offerings as loss and count sufferings as gain, it brings us closer to Jesus? Think about it. The one thing we all desire is to have more faith. What is faith? It's the ability to immediately obey God in all things and believe Him at His Word. If there is no time for doubt or fear to step into place, we would immediately obey God. That's faith. Jesus had perfect faith because He had perfect obedience. But where did Jesus get His obedience? Well, the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, tells us. It says, Though he was a son, yet he, speaking of Jesus, he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. You see, Jesus learned obedience to God and his perfect will by the things which he suffered willingly without complaining, without fighting against it. And not only did he learn obedience, but he was perfected by obeying God through suffering. How many times have you said, or even thought, I want to be more like Jesus? Well, think about it. We can ask the Holy Spirit to teach us how to love and forgive and have peace and patience and kindness. And while all these things make us more like Jesus, there's still a gap from where we are and where we want to be to become more like Him. The process of becoming more like Jesus as we submit to the Holy Spirit to help us change is the process known as sanctification. To sanctify something means to set it apart, to make it holy. When we come to Jesus, He sets us apart from the world and sets out to make us holy. That's no small job. So that we can become more like Him. Yet many times in our walk and in our faith and in our pursuing of God, we hit a ceiling in the sanctification process. Where it seems we've grown, but now we're finding it hard to go to that next level. Therefore, let us understand the roles that both we and God play in sanctification. Philippians 1, verse 6 tells us, being confident of this very thing, that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You see, God takes ownership of completing the process in us. But we need to do two things to put ourselves in the right place for success. We don't just sit back and go out and live however we want and expect God to complete us. No, there's some things that we need to do to bring the equation. First, we need to willingly submit to all that God asks of us without doubting, without hesitating, without complaining. God knows what we need and has a specific plan to help each of us become more like Him. The second thing that we need to do is often overlooked. The only way that we can stay submitted to Him through the unfair and difficult trials in life is to not only obey Him through suffering, but listen to this, 
to expect suffering to come as part of the sanctification process. Consider how a football player runs down the field with the ball in one hand. He will often hold off, hold out another hand and arm when a would-be tackler comes by to stiff arm, arm him and keep him away. But what works in the game of football is not always the goal in life. With this analogy in mind, sometimes we have a tendency to hold our safety and our comfort close, just like that football, and stiff arm anything that comes against us, anything that challenges us, anything that causes us to struggle. Yet when we only see challenges as things to avoid or to get through quickly, it's possible that we may miss opportunities to learn obedience through suffering. The fact is that God uses the challenges of this life to perfect us, to build our obedience and our faith in order to sanctify us according to His will. Is it possible that the secret that Paul is talking about is to embrace our challenges and actually thank God for them? Because they allow us to know Jesus in a deeper way than most people ever get to know Him. The truth of the matter is that the one thing that authenticates our relationship with Jesus is to go through a a trial with Jesus at our side. It is through this pressing time that our attitude towards Him becomes one of need instead of just want. When you get to the place where you know that you need Jesus, even more than your next breath, then you truly get to know Him in deep and intimate ways. You get to know His heart, His passion, and His undying love for you in real ways that many fail to realize. It's the switch from want to need that revolutionizes your walk with Jesus. Just look at how the disciples changed after they witnessed the crucifixion and faced their own persecution, they counted all things lost for the hope of knowing Christ through His death and resurrection. The truth is that all of us, we all absolutely need Jesus. Amen? And once this fact is established, our heart's greatest desire is to truly know Him more. Paul sought the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, where he came to the place of having need of nothing but to know Jesus more. Philippians 4, verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. There's that secret. No matter what happens, I've learned to be content. His secret in being content in all things was to accept whatever fate was assigned to him and believe that his willingness to obey God and trust Him through it all drew him inseparably close and closer to the heart of Christ. Complaining was not in his vocabulary. He accepted all things as part of God's promise to sanctify him and cause him to become more like Jesus. Do you understand 
that when you complain about all the unfair things that God allows in your life, doesn't always cause them, but He allows those things to happen, when you complain about those things, you are actually complaining about God's plan or what He intentionally uses to sanctify you and cause you to become more like Jesus. Philippians 4, verse 12. Paul says, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. Both, I have learned all things. Both to abound and to suffer need. You see, Paul didn't let the trials discourage him or the blessings to puff him up. He simply learned to be at peace with whatever God served him as his daily bread. And from this attitude, Paul profoundly proclaims this next verse that many times people just quote this next verse because it sounds like a cool verse to say. But it's from the attitude of I've been here and I've been there and no matter what, I count it all as loss. So building up in context, here's this next verse, Philippians 4, verse 13. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No matter what comes to us or through us or against us, we have the choice to let it drive us further further away from God or to embrace it and cling to God even tighter. In fact, James took the same attitude and went even deeper with it. James 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. How is that possible to count trials as joy? It goes back to how we choose the column into which category of life's events. If we put every financial blessing and job promotion in the win column and then put every trial and unfair circumstance and every challenge in the loss column, do you know what we're doing? We're giving all of our power away to the world. And we're held captive to the world in what it offers. But if we learn to count it all joy, whether we suffer or whether we are blessed, then the world has no power or control over us. We get to choose the column into which we name what happens to us. We assign meaning to life's events. That is the secret. And with this revelation, we understand that everything the world throws at us pushes us deeper into the arms of Christ Jesus. Amen? Thus, we count it all joy when we fall into various trials. James 1, verse 3, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. How many could use a little more patience? Do you know what you're raising your hand for? You just ask God to give me a trial in life. (laughs) But amen, because I'm going to count it as joy because no matter what comes at me, I'm going to press into Jesus. Because He's always with me. He's faithful. He never leaves us. He's going to continue to bring us alongside. He doesn't just kick us and go forward. He says, I'm going to lock arms with you and go forward with you. God is always faithful. Every trial produces something in us. 
How we assign meaning to that trial determines what it produces. The goal is not to assign permanent meaning in the moments of our first reaction to a trial. Yet if we give ourselves permission to to temporarily feel anger or to temporarily feel pain or fear, but understand that it's only temporary, we don't stay there. You see, too many Christians say, I shouldn't feel fear. I shouldn't feel doubt. I shouldn't feel pain. I should just, I should just have a better faith. We need to give ourselves permission to react. We do such a disservice to us by allowing ourselves to walk in condemnation. Those are initial reactions. If I waved my hand at you and shook at your face and you went back and flinched, and then you saw that all I had in my hand was a feather, you would come back again. And that's what the enemy does. He brings a trial in us and we flinch. And that's okay. We all flinch. Remember that, that story? I see it at work in the junior high all the time. Someone comes up to you and they hold their fingers like this and they say, would you be afraid of a man this tall? And you say no. And they put it in your face and you go, then why did you blink? Did you ever hear that? Must be, must be only me. Same corny jokes I heard 40 years ago, 50 years ago, still saying today. So we have these flinch reactions that that happen, and it's okay to initially feel fear or doubt or confusion or anger, but as we understand that God's with us, we continue to rise up and to trust Him through it all. You see, God eventually massages truth into our minds and our hearts that He is using all things to work together for good, to strengthen our resolve, and to bring us inseparably close to His heart. Once we realize that all trials have the ability to drive us closer to our Savior, then we gain patience and trust in God through our trials. James 1, verse 4. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Through patience, and trust in the Lord all the way through each challenge. We are perfected day by day and hour by hour and moment by moment. Why do we count it all joy? Because we know what lays before us. The joy of being in His presence eternally. That's what lays before us. And nothing can separate us from His everlasting joy. The greatest form of spiritual warfare that you can enter into is coming to this revelation and standing on this truth. Romans 8.35 Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Verse 36, As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Do you see that Satan has already attempted to name your trials for you? He has already counted you out as sheep for the slaughter. He has already put you in His victory column, having counted you as nothing. But when we rise up in the power of Christ Jesus and resolutely declare that nothing can separate us from God's love, 
then it deals a powerful blow to the enemy. Thus, we continue. Romans 8.37 Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. We are more than conquerors through the cross. We identify with Christ and accept His perfect, perfect sacrifice on our behalf. Not only has death been conquered, but we serve the enemy notice that there's nothing that he can do to separate us from our Savior. Amen? Romans 8.38 For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Verse 39 Nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. It is for the joy that we press on during the trials of this life. After all, it was for the joy that Jesus Himself pressed on to give us victory. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, we also since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us all be encouraged by the many saints who have gone before us and continually stood on the inseparable promise of Jesus Christ. For it is this revelation that fuels our soul and gives us patience and strength and resolve in perfecting our faith to trust Him through it all. For this is not a sprint, but a race of endurance in which we patiently trust God's perfect plan to redeem us for His kingdom's work. Hebrews 12, verse 2, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross and despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It was for the joy that was set before Jesus that He endured the persecution and the pain and the suffering and the vengeance of sinful man. It was for the joy set before Him that He endured the cross and ultimately laid down His own life so that He could pick it back up again and give it to you and I with resurrection power. Every time that Satan has thought, every time Satan thought that Jesus would give in, that He would quit, that it was too much for Him, that He would just retreat, every time He thought He would come down off the cross, Jesus continued to press on for the joy that was set before Him. He set His face like flint on the joy that was set before Him. And here is the greatest secret of all. You were the joy that was set before Him. He did it all for you because He loves you with an everlasting love which brings an everlasting joy to His heart. Like Paul, like James, 
and especially like Jesus, we count it all joy when we fall into various trials, knowing that without a doubt, they will all drive us deeper into the heart of God. Romans 15, verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit continues to bring God's truth to you. So that when you are discouraged, He lifts you up. When you are going through a tough time that you don't understand, He brings you back to the promises in God's Word. And all of His promises are yes and amen. The fact is, no matter where we were, no matter where we are, if we trust God, He touches us and brings healing and assurance. And He continues to cause us to be content in all things so that we can count it all as loss of the things of the world and count it all as joy because it drives us closer to His heart. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your promise. We thank You that You have delivered us. And Lord God, for those right now who want to get a little closer, that maybe they have been struggling, that maybe they have not understood, have not taken that next step, I pray, God, that You would prepare their hearts to trust You. Whether it's for the first time, whether it's to go to that next level. Lord God, we repent. We come to You. We confess that we've missed it. We acknowledge that You love us that You died for us. And as we call You Lord of our lives and commit to You, as we receive Your forgiveness for our lives, believing that God raised You, Jesus, from the dead, that we receive You as the Holy Spirit in our hearts to love us and to guide us every step of the way. Lord God, for the joy that's set before us, help us to endure what this life tries to throw at us so that we can give You glory in all we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.